Hello and welcome to Fintech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have Simon Boulay, President and CEO of Wealthica. Wealthica is an investment aggregation platform that allows you to consolidate all of your different investment accounts in one easy-to-use platform with intelligence and triggers that help you make better actionable decisions. And with that, here's my interview with Simon. Good morning, Simon. Good morning, Jason. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for taking the time. So, Simon Boulay of Wealthica, tell us about Wealthica. Yes, Wealthica is a free dashboard for investors to see all their investments in a single dashboard. Each day, we connect to your financial institutions and we pull your account balances, holding transactions, and we allow you to get an NDA view of your entire network that can be shared with your advisor, with your trusted family members, or friends. Excellent. So we're going to dive into that shortly. Let's talk about what caused you to start this company. What was the reason? Yep. Uh, good question. So we started uh, four years ago already. So we're almost feel like we're an old startup. Me and my partner. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, uh, that's a dog's age in fintech. What are you talking about? <laughs> absolutely. And I mean, uh, in the early days, you know, connecting to your institutions and getting those data. Uh, oh, we're not the first one of doing it for the banking side of things. But for investments, there was really no options. And me and my partners sold our previous business. And then a couple of months later, we sat down for coffee and we realized we had investments spread across 10 different financial institutions. And uh, it was really hard, you know, having the, the, the full picture, benchmarking the performance of the advisor, but for our own performance as well. Me and my partners, we, uh, we're tech guys. So, you know, we like to buy, you know, the Facebook and Google. And uh, so we, uh, we set up the uh, So as core, the problem was you guys were spreading your money in too many places and didn't want to consolidate in one place. <laughs> And there could be a very good reason for that. Yeah, well, you know, it's not so uh, uncommon. I like what well, you're saying about, you know, having the investment for too many like, accounts spread out. Banks like to bring that and say, oh, you should have everything with us and we'll manage everything for you. But at the end of the day, it's quite common to shop around. You can have like your saving accounts, you know, Simply Financial and Alterna Bank right now are those, I guess, having for saving account the best interest rates. And, and then, you know, for your banking, you might want to use something else. Uh, or you might have an employer that has a pension plan. So it's much, much more common. Everyone, well, everyone I know has an account or two, you know, uh, here and there. And now with the robos advisors, like people, they're trying out the robos a little bit, so they're making some investments in the robos as well. So it's a fairly common problem. And we we realized not only like ourselves, but also a lot of people had the, the, the challenge we had. It's funny. It's it's not, I've had this conversation with executives. And for some reason, I guess because of the Canadian in Canada, there's the banks control so much of the entire ecosystem. People think it's not as big a problem here as it is elsewhere, but I highly debate that. I mean, I don't think I've seen a single case in years of a new prospect where they didn't have money in multiple locations. And worst one being, I think it was, um, I think it was 26 locations across three countries. That was an interesting one. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. There is, I mean, there is value, or at least this is my, my pitch. Yes, you can, if you consolidate with one advisor, odds are your fees are going to be discounted. And therefore there's, there's economies of scale there. But I mean, even in my practice, we have, yeah, the pension accounts that we basically can't manage, or we have the client will have their play account somewhere, right? And I don't begrudge them that. And that makes perfect sense. And I can't have that uh, in one place. So even the most rudimentary uh, situations, it's, it's not surprising that this was, a, this was a problem. So five years ago, you discovered this is a problem. Tell us about how you started to tackle the problem. Yeah, sure. So we, um, we first looked at what was available online. And there was Mint, uh, which is a pretty good platform from, uh, from Intuit. They do uh, a pretty good job at uh, banking and budgeting. But for investments, they're terrible. And one reason for that is that 
is that in Canada, you know, there's, we have our little specificities. For example, around your packs, perhaps we use subjects like Crossbase, whereas in the US, uh, they use something different. And our uh, currency or exchange foreign investments for us Canadians, it's really common to have, I don't know, 50%, maybe not 50%, but 40 something percent of our investments in US dollar accounts or US dollar securities, even on the market. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe not everyone knows, but there's a couple, like a handful uh, stocks on the TSX that are trading in, in US dollar as well. Language, maybe you can. I'm sure you can hear from my from my accent, but I'm from Quebec, Montreal, so I speak uh, French. And having a bilingual platform was something uh, we. Uh, so we we built Walter from the ground up, multi currency, multi language, with all the Canadian specificities, the account types. We do account type identification as well, so IRSC, PFSA, locked in account. So really, really, we built everything from the ground up for the Canadian market. Yeah, well, it's interesting. That's what you, what you said is not just for the Canadian market. Theoretically, if you built that platform correctly for multi-currency, multi-language, multi-jurisdictional, you can roll that out any number of places. And I know you guys already, you're operating in the U.S., I believe, correct? Or are you looking not to? yet. We're absolutely going to add you, uh, U.S. That's uh, something I, I'm not sure I'm supposed to, to say, but there you go. You get the exclusivity. But okay, we well, are this is an airing for several weeks. You have a lot of time to make an official release. So it, it's an yeah. interesting little... <laughs> interesting little dynamic that I've discovered in doing this podcast is that there's really, you look at the way the U.S. develops soft, the way the most of the rest of the world develops soft, whereas that it seems like the Americans developed for the U.S. first, and they typically have the best first stab at this stuff just because they're more, a more advanced market. But then they try to port it over to another country, and it just wasn't built for that, right? Whereas in Canada or elsewhere, we tend to develop with a multi-jurisdictional mindset. And that's why you have, I think, it's funny, you find we, we have more companies that compete in multiple countries at a small level than the U.S. will in a lot of cases. And the same thing can be said for other jurisdictions like, like Zero out of New Zealand, right? Like they, they did not create a New Zealand software, accounting software. They created a global software. So that worked out well. So, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So basically, tell us about the feature sets that you're offering. So you basically, beyond data aggregation, you guys are doing a number of things. What are you doing? Yes. So we, first, I would say, uh, I like to see us like the Amazon of the aggregations, but I know that's a bold, bold statement. What I mean is everybody wants to be the Amazon of something these days. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, it's, it is, it's a bold statement, but what I mean is we, yeah. we're fully integrated end-to-end. So we have the back-end. So we have our own engines that connect to the financial institutions and get the data. And that's important because our investment, as I mentioned, there's the account size, the transactions, but your holdings as well. So we need a great deal of details with that data. So we looked at the aggregators and we realized no one has the data we need power our own platform. So we built the backend and we have our, our customer facing dashboard, which is the end product. And uh, users can go online and sign up free and then they connect their accounts and they get the reporting for they consolidated the holdings, their transactions from all their investments. We're also rolling out banking as well. So until now, we've been extremely focused on investment accounts. We have support for about 60 uh, Canadian investment account and portals right now. Platform, we have support for all major brokerage accounts in Canada. And we're adding banking so that they're going to be able to you know, see not only your checking account, but also mutual funds you might have with the branch, the bank, bank branches instead of their wealth division. So that's, that's been a huge plus for clients. So when you log in, you know, you have all your historical transactions. We track your network account balances each day. You can also add your other assets, your house, your mortgage. You know, you have a boat or a wine collection. You're free to add them as well. We do the the, the That's going to be an incredibly subjective valuation on a wine collection. I will say that much. 
<laughs> well, yeah, well, for Bitcoin, you know, people are a lot about cryptos. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> we support cryptos as well. You can try. Well, that's going to be an incredibly but, terrible price graph, but that's a different story altogether. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so, but the idea is really a wall sector. The idea is to track your entire network your wealth. That's mm-hmm. not only about investment. It's really adding the full picture. We also have support for you know creating groups for you can invite your spouse uh, or if you're a higher network people, they have their trust or their uh, their holding company, so you can create groups. All the sharing features as well. You can share uh, with your uh, with your accountant, for example, or with your advisor. So it's a great platform. Everyone, I believe, every investor should have a Wolfpack account. <laughs> of course, they should. I'm not giving an official endorsement, but I'm saying at least check it out because it's free to check out. And uh, it's uh, yeah, I'm already getting your notifications and pings all the time. So let's talk about some of the things you've built into this, and then we'll talk about your pricing model. I mean, well, actually, you know what? Let's take a step back from that. So you actually developed your own data aggregation backend from scratch, as opposed to going to a Yodli or a um, Quovo, which is now owned by Plaid. I think part of that was probably just not a necessity at the time, right? Like they just weren't able to do what you needed them to, right? Yes, absolutely. And uh, I would say today, I mean, even today, Voltica, for the investment side of things, our engine is, is super effective. And I know you mentioned Plaid and Quovo. I've heard Quovo is coming as well uh, for Doro. But I've yet to see like, their uh, their engine. But in terms of data aggregation, absolutely. Our engine, like, for investment, it's amazing. So that's has been until today a great defensive play for us because mm-hmm. you know it's unique. So and now we're seeing more and more competition on that front. And I'm sure we're gonna we're going to talk about open banking a little later. But so far it's been a great defensive play for us. But now we're seeing more competition as you mentioned, Kovo. Even in Montreal we have links as well that does uh, the uh, most of the banking more of the banking side of things. Um, but we're yeah, so there we are really focused on the investment side of things right now. And as we add banking, it's not clear at this time if we're gonna use our own engine or if we're going to use a third party for the banking as a startup, it doesn't make much sense to reinvent the wheel. But for investment, our engine is really focused on investment. So then the question becomes, have you, are you currently contemplating or have you sold the access to that engine as a standalone product to financial institutions? Yeah. So we're, maybe could take a quick step at our monetization strategy because we, you mentioned, yeah, the dashboard sure. is free. We monetize our platform three ways. First, dashboard is free, but we offer paid paid add-ons to the B2C. So like investors come on the platform, they add their investments. Right now, we have a Google Sheet export add-on that's available uh, for a monthly subscription where you can synchronize your transaction and your holding to Google Sheets for, you know, historical or uh, or even, some, you know, fully replace the, spread, the inside Excel sheet with your own macros and everything. While well, you can now create those sheets in Google Sheets and at Wolfica populate your holdings and transactions so you can use your own macros and your own formulas. So that's one way of monetizing. The second way is we have a white-labeled version of Wolfica that's available for advisors and family offices. And we do have customers using uh, offering uh, those to their clients. And finally, we're also making our engine available, just like a pure aggregator would do. So we are selling our, our, our licensing, our, our API, our engine for the syntax. So yeah, we do have customers on that front as well. We have integration with a pretty big software called Equisoft Wealth Elements. They're based in Montreal as well, and they use us for their API. And there's another fintech as well called, called uh, Art Bacon in Montreal that also use uh, our API for connecting to the uh, so now let's dive into what it is you guys do beyond the aggregation piece. So I'm seeing a number of different value adds. So let's go, let's go through them. You have your dashboard, transaction alerts. Uh, what are you doing there? Yeah, so on, on the transaction side, so we pull your transactions and we do, you know, identification for you across your different accounts. For example, BMO and TD might not categorize the same way your dividend reinvestment, for example. 
So we, we mm. do the, uh, the matching for you. We also do the security, the, I mean, the, uh, all the, uh, the stock identification for you as well. And we are improving the transaction engine almost every day. So it goes a lot further than, no, no, you know, for, for banking, you have debit and credit transactions, interest transactions, and the, the challenge is getting, you know, the merchant identification for a budgeting app. For example, you want to know how much coffee or, or how much you know, grocery spending. Uh, for investments, it's the holding that's a challenge and, you know, transactions. So we do a lot of the AV listing for you at, you know, aggregating those transactions. Uh, on the investment side, and this powers everything else in, in the dashboard. When you go to our reporting, we have fees mm-hmm. report, realized gain report that does the uh, adjusted cost base for tax, the proposed, and those are all transaction based. So basically, your Wolfica pulls your transactions, and then sometimes you have jump in, come in, and you know identify something, and then our engineer actually learns from those, and we we improve the platform and the transaction almost every day. Excellent. Now, one of the ones I found interesting was the cash drag alert. Let's talk about that. Yeah, it's not necessarily something. It's an idea from uh, my partner, Martin. Uh, the cash drag alert is just, as an investor, you get those dividends, and you tend to forget, as a DIY investor, you tend to forget to reinvest those. Or, you know, so the cash drag is an email you can get when your uh, cash, your account, reach a certain threshold. That's a pretty nice, pretty, well, simple, so simple. You know, at the end of the day, it's so simple. And by the way, the simplicity brings me to uh, getting a bit ahead here, but to the document section. So we pull statements as well from some institution and you can opt out. Yes, that's interesting. So it's similar to a hub doc or something. So instead of having to go collect documents from their systems for say tax purposes every year you're giving them one aggregated location for docs correct yes and absolutely and you can upload your own documents as well so for example you could upload your your will or any if you're an advisor you can upload your uh, your planning for your clients but in terms of simplicity what i where i was going is we generate uh, small preview images of the of the statement it's such a simple thing to do but it makes statements so much more enjoyable i mean it almost makes the statements a beautiful thing you know when you uh, that's, all, that's a tall claim my friend given the look of most statements in this country <laughs> <laughs> but you know why not you know at the end of the day you know the banks and you could have a traditional listing like with the statement types and the dates but why not make it a little bit more enjoyable and generate this uh, preview for those statements so that's you know bringing simplicity something that sounds so complicated for a lot of canadians even you know recently uh, with the uh, disclosure of the fees crm to uh, a couple mm-hmm. of years ago people are still not exactly sure they understand their statement and a lot of people just don't look at them at all so uh, well, I, mean, we're re- I share that frustration and it's funny because i i often so i peg the blame on the lawyers <laughs> And the reason is, is because regulation typically drawn by lawyers tells us what legally has to be on there, right? So the threshold for what is legally required becomes the minimum bar for attainment. And there's no consideration for user-friendliness in any of this, other than to say, you need to make it user-friendly. It's like, well, well, thank you. You just told me you got to drop all this information and and overwhelm people and simultaneously make it user-friendly. Like, how's that going to work? Yeah, no, absolutely. So you're really trying to... rethink everything and from our perspective we're building a platform from the investor from the diy side of things we're the diy investors we're tech people we're used to building online platforms and we're bringing really the perspective from the investor side of and yeah for a professional that logs into Ultica, they will ask questions like okay how is the performance calculated why am i not having this or that and my answer is we're building from the investor side of things 
and we're trying to simplify things. And we're not offering financial services, but at the same time, we're not, you know, legislated by the, uh, the AMF in Quebec or the, uh, the Ontario Security or, or, or whatever. So we're really trying to bring a dashboard that provides the information and for you to draw your own conclusions and to ask questions and to learn new things, you know, when you see, okay, the, those fees, what are they? Like, how does, well, what is that? And have that discussion mm-hmm. with your advisor. So really bringing simplicity, bringing discussions around performance, fees, and really being one of those, one of the starting points for advisors to have that meaningful discussion that they need to have with their clients. Excellent. So, you know, we talked about monetization briefly earlier. Let's talk about a little bit deeper on how you monetize on the upgrades. So you're a freemium platform for the end user. And on top of that, you monetize first through a Google Sheets report, Excel, uh, Google Sheets export add-on. What was the driving factor there? Like, was that requested by users? Was that something you guys wanted for yourselves? Where did that come from? Oh, well, simply getting rid of the spreadsheet. I think a lot of, of our users were looking for a way to export their, uh, their holdings to an Excel file. And then, you know, they have, they've kept that Excel file for 10 years now. So it's part of her vision on, you know, making things online easy to use. So exporting to Google Sheet was something that came up in the early days of Fulticker. I'm a huge, huge Google. I have everything in Google, you know, all my, uh, yeah. my Google Drive yeah. and everything. So it was natural. And the whole idea is pretty simple, super simple. Just getting rid of the spreadsheet and automating those spreadsheets. So the Google Sheet export add-on is the first paid add-on we, we have on the platform. And this year, we're looking at adding more, but more, more importantly, also getting third parties on board. So as a developer or as another fintech, maybe you have an online platform. Usually, if you need the investor's data or the custom, consumer data, usually you have to go to a Yodli or to an aggregator or, or even to Multica mm-hmm. and then do the, the development on your end using their technology to pull the data. And if, So we're leveraging this for third parties because what you do, just like the Apple apps, or maybe if you're familiar with QuickBooks online, they have tons of apps on their platform. So we are leveraging mm-hmm. the complexity of pulling that data from the institution and making it simple for any third-party dev with a little bit of JavaScript and HTML experience to build their own add-on into the platform. And we're actually released an open source library that allows you to, to integrate into Waltica. So we have our own add-on that we are working on, and the Google Sheet export is the first add-on we have. But we are also working with other third parties getting on board and we're gonna going to announce two new add-ons in the next in the next week, third party add-ons. And any anyone is free to use. You don't have to publish them on the apps on the on the, the add-ons or we have. You could just build it for yourself and you know uh, hopefully you would share them with more users. But it's it's so not charging thirty percent for transactions, is that it? <laughs> Sorry. We are actually we are. We are we okay. are uh, okay. so you are an app store. Okay. If you're selling that add-on on the platform, we are taking a share of the revenue. So we're not charging you to be on the platform. So you're saving on the aggregation cost and uh, you're saving on mm-hmm. some of the development costs as well. And we take a uh, transaction. That's the business model for the add-on. So mm-hmm. in the early days, that's my strategy uh, here. No, it makes sense. You're sharing the monetization. You bring value to them. You already have one third-party add-on with Stock Scanner. Uh, sorry, Stock Scanner with Share Alpha. So you're able to provide. I guess that makes sense because the analytics that you're not providing nor is that core to your business can be provided by a third party. So, I mean, I just think there's several people I've already interviewed on this show and other people I've, I've talked to and turned away that basically would benefit from a deep integration into what you guys are doing. Yeah, I like to see us as more of the tech side of the FinTech, where we have a platform, we're developers ourselves. We're not financial professionals. I've learned a ton of things in the last four years working on Voltica. It's just crazy. But I'm an engineer. I'm a software engineer. I like building platforms, APIs, security, cloud services. 
So we're, we're much more a tech of the fintech. And now what we're looking at is getting third parties fin into the platform and bring, you know, the analytics, the maybe the retirement planning, any of the, you know, more, more of the fin side of things. The platform is really robust now. And we're at that stage where we're looking at adding more of the fin side of the fintech. So uh, you alluded to it earlier, but let's talk about your viewpoints on open banking and uh, see how that goes. Yes. First, I would start by saying it's quite interesting what's happening in Canada right now. I think a lot of uh, mm-hmm. Canadians don't realize that there's some real discussions going on. And we're going to be in elections soon, so hopefully that doesn't fall into, into pieces with the new government. But there's some really interesting discussion. I think it's going to take time, especially if you look at what's happening in other, other countries, other jurisdictions in the Europe, in Europe, for example. But I'm, it's an evidence for me that open banking is coming to Canada a matter of time and the government has been quite open about you know discussing the challenges and the how or why of the open banking but it's coming so at the same time for us that means we have to be prepared we have to be careful being ready and being in a position where we can uh, we can leverage and when we can uh, uh, benefit from the open banking opening up in canada so I mean, I'm a, to, to I'm be a, fair, no one's nailed this. <laughs> no, no one in the world's nailed this. And there's odd different discussions going on around the world. And the Europeans most certainly took the lead by saying, hey, we're going to have this. This is, And you're going to do this. But they didn't explain how. So <laughs> it's going to be a funny couple of yeah. years to figure that out. But Europe is quite, I mean, it, they're quite advanced now in their implementation. And it's actually live now. So it's great. And I think this gives Canada a good chance of, Doing even better, looking at what the other other jurisdictions uh, have been doing in Europe, they've taken an, uh, an approach where it's called PSD2, which is more about well, it's a payment service directive, and people tend to forget it's about mostly centered around payment, allowing you know to yeah read your account balances, transactions, but also doing payment across the bank. For me, my personal point of view on that, I think that was maybe a mistake. Um, I'm thinking we're, we'd be better off on having a holistic, you know, the entire finance system, mortgage, insurance. We should focus mm-hmm. on getting getting access to their data. And when you look at Australia, for example, that's where they are. Uh, they seem to be heading. We're still a bit early. The early in Canada, we're not there yet. We're still at looking at planning and you know what the benefits. And uh, they're going to release a report to the uh, Minister of Finance very, very soon, like maybe by the end of June or early July. And I think they're going to make the report public as well. So for Canadians, there's a lot of things going on. They might not be aware, but there's some, there's a lot of things going on and it's going to happen. How and when, that's the big question and we're not there yet. But I think we have a great opportunity to look at what's happening outside of Canada and making it even better you know, for Canadians. And we're participating in those debates and those discussions and too little not enough Canadians realize what's going on. And so, yeah, it's quite exciting. I'm really excited to see, uh, to see uh, those discussions and being part of them. It's interesting. I mean, I, I have a very firm and anti-bank stance on this. And it's, it's simple. It's, you know, there's this massive glut of data, which under current law in Canada is actually the consumer has the right to, but there's no methodology or simple methodology for doing so in a functional manner. And meanwhile, we have basically discovered, the economy in general has discovered the value of surveillance capitalism and just how valuable each individual person's data really is. So now they're sitting on a treasure trove and they've really woken up to just how valuable that data is. So now they have a resource that we gave them that we're entitled to that we are not being given. And I think if if people had an appreciation for just how valuable our data is and how we should be the ones that charge you of not only accessing it, but monetizing it 
and who grants information to what manners. Forget the Facebook issues that we're, we're seeing right now. This is a far larger and far greater and far bigger monumental shift in terms of how we do things, but one that is far more empowering to the end consumer than Facebook ever could have been. No, and absolutely. I think it's about giving consumer the choice. I mean, you're mentioning Facebook. Yes. I mean, maybe Facebook is going to come with, I know they have their privacy issues and stuff, but everyone, me and my partners are from uh, the hosting industry. Uh, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, we uh, were from iWeb, which used to be uh, one of Canada's largest hosting provider. And uh, at the time, people were talking about the cloud. Well, it, it wasn't called the cloud, but people were saying, oh, we're never going to move we're anything in, in, yeah. in the cloud. It's security issues, it's terrible. And now see everyone's moving in the cloud. So where I was going with that is, I think it's the consumer choice. Having the choice to use uh-huh. an app, of a third-party app, securely to APIs, whether it's Facebook or whether it's Waltica or whatever, it could be a budgeting or credit monitoring or suspicious transactions monitoring app. There's so many things like beyond budgeting. Yeah. And by the way, it's like the bank or the, the bank have been know, knowing this for over a decade now, like you open banking yeah. things and a new thing, accessing your data through Mint or QuickBooks have been pioneer, you know, in this. They hate it. I mean, they've been adding, some of them have been adding two-factor authentication in the last year or so. As saying it's for security purposes, but it's like, wait a sec, now you're worried about two-factor authentication? Maybe it's because you're getting all these API calls and scraping of your, of your sites that you don't want to happen because yeah. you, you know, like, let's be honest here. You could have imposed two-factor authentication a long time ago and you'd oh, did. So No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but Jason, just keep in mind, two-factor is a bit of a two-edged sword as well, because for example, right now uh, in Europe, what's happening, they're strong, uh, I'm not sure, I, I, um, I think it's strong consumer authentication or something like that that just come out uh, from uh, PSD2 and or they are basically forcing like two-factor authentication but there's the problem I mean two-factor is a great thing the challenge oh, it is should, making it, it should making, be done making it right the bigger problem is using it as a rent-seeking behavior right it is basically using it as a a hurdle to prevent people from using from taking their data out which is the grand fear yeah, so we have to make 2FA the right, the right way. And for PSD2, they are actually, if the uh, two-factor is being uh, regulated as well. For example, you'll be able to authenticate once using the 2FA, and then you'll get access to your transactions and your account balances without having to re-enter the 2FA. So that's important. So they are implementing 2FA while still following aggregators or uh, background updates without having to come on the platform every time you want to update, uh, update the information. That's super important. So it's interesting, but the banks at the same time are in a situation where they can't walk aggregators tomorrow morning because, for example, as a business owner, you know, I have, I'm using QuickBooks, we're using QuickBooks for, for, for accounting, and there's no way I'm going to download both the CSV file from my bank oh, and upload them on QuickBooks. I want QuickBooks to be able to pull my transaction and account balance. And if QuickBooks tell me, oh, Simon, this bank doesn't work, like they're blocking us and they have, there's no way to pull their, your transactions, well, here's a link to another bank that works oh, yeah. really well. Oh, yeah. CIBC just announced a, uh, this week something with, I haven't tried a platform. Yeah, just, yeah just direct integration with Intuit. RBC has yeah, that. Or they've, I think they've launched like a new, a new it's integrated on, these, on the CIBC side. But uh, my point is that yeah. they are in a situation where they've been tolerating this for over a decade now. And 
At the same time, in their term of services, they are discouraging their users from sharing their credentials, which totally makes sense. But on the other end, the aggregators like the QuickBooks, the Wolfica, and the Mint of the world, where that's the only way we can authenticate the banks is using your credentials, which is pretty sad. Well, I mean, this is, uh, you know. I have more than one time complained about one particular bank with the blue logo basically taking the stance that, oh, yeah, and if you, and they were the first ones, I think they're all doing it now, saying, yeah, if you use your card uh, to on an aggregator, you invalidated your fraud protection. So if you use an aggregator, too bad. Oh, but by the way, we provide an aggregator. So go ahead and use that. And it's like, excuse me? <laughs> like, no, yeah, that's you, insane. That's absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, our just, national, just waiting for uh, someone to challenge them in court. Like it's, it's like, oh, well, you know what? We know this is not defensible, but we're going to let you challenge this in court. Like that's basically the stance. And it's just ridiculous. It's a, it's a terrible Think about from the ridiculous standpoint that you're taking in yeah. terms of your consumers, right? Like what a terrible way to treat your consumers altogether. Oh, anyway, absolutely. That's my rant. <laughs> so it's a tricky question. And I just want to, again, I'm dropping some names here. Uh, I hope you don't mind, but National, a couple a couple months yeah. ago, people, they haven't been too vocal about it. But now as a National Bank client, you can connect the, your TD mortgage in the National Bank portal and you can have access to your, your, your transaction. So they've added aggregation into their own banking portal. So so it's coming. It's coming. It, it, it's inevitable. It's coming, but here's the thing. In the long run, I think in the short run, sure, great. They all get to collect data on each other. In the long run, they know this is a losing game. Who's going to choose to aggregate through the one bank they're using today if they're using four banks? The reality is it's going to be guys like you who sit neutrally in the middle that are going to be the ones that are going to say, you know what? I prefer this independent service that it doesn't matter if I change the bank or my credit card or whatever. This is the reason why Mint.com is bloody huge and other banks' data scraping technologies are getting nowhere. It's because, you know what? If I change vendors, I don't have to change my entire platform experience. Absolutely. Right? Yes, so, yeah, so they have a right to, you know, congratulations, go ahead, start doing that. In the long run, this is a losing game for you guys because no one, you're going to choose one of five silos that are commodified versus, uh, commoditized versus an independent better player. Good luck to you. Yeah, absolutely. In Europe, that's exactly what's happening. Like, bank are back into the back end or, you know, they have the money and they do the, the keeping and everything, but people use third-party apps. So you install an app on the apps from the app store and then you can manage your bank account just like you do currently with your, you know, the bank apps. So they're making the bank apps obsolete, or at least they're adding competition on the bank, the bank apps because of their the open banking data, the TZ2 they have there. So you mentioned being an independent platform. That's important as well for us. So we're really bringing, like a, we're not, we don't have any of the banks on, <laughs> as an investor in Waltica. We're still, uh, oh, by the way, we're still self-funded, me and my partner. Mm-hmm. So we're at the luxury of not adding the pressure from the VCs or from the banks. <laughs> so or you're not the, on the uh, trend now. Okay. <laughs> yes. And I'm seeing this is a competitive advantage for the fintechs as well, you know, adding the aggregation in, in their platform. And if the banks don't do it, they're going to lose on the competitive side with the other fintechs or smaller robos are going to have the aggregation. And if you look in the US, by the way, most of the robots, the robot advisors, most of them have aggregation built in. So it's definitely coming. And I think the banks, they'll have to add it as a competing advantage because everyone's going to have it in the next five years from now in Canada, I think. So uh, yeah, it's an interesting trend and still is something that's, that's gaining momentum. So before we wrap up, let's go to my uh, typical three questions. So the first question I have for you is basically, if you had one wish for something you could change in the industry, your company, whatever it might be, what would that be? Well, you know, I can't stop thinking about open banking. So my wish is that we Canada take time and agile and smart approach, look at what 
happening in other countries. And, you know, we have a chance to really make things better and succeed than the open banking or open financial data side of things. So I hope we are going to focus on data access first and payment later. So that would be my, uh, my wish for the future. And also, I, I'd, I'd add maybe, um, I wish consumers start to realize that they are in control as well. They can decide to move to a more open institution. It's their data. Yeah. And some institutions work better than others in Waltica, and that's because they're more open and they're not fighting us back and they're making it a little bit easier for us to, uh, mm-hmm. to uh, access their data. So I'm, I'm wishing Canadians are to realize that they are in control as well. And there are excellent alternatives that are more open uh, on the Canadian market as well. Yeah, well, unfortunately, we tend to be too nice on stuff like this. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, and we hear this a lot. You know, people are complaining your their account isn't syncing in Waltica, and then yeah, but you can use you know, again, I'm doing some name dropping, but Questrade, Wealth Simple, Interactive Broker, Wellbar, those guys, they all have APIs. Oh yeah, it's so, fantastic. It never breaks. Yes, absolutely, and uh, so those are good alternatives. Yeah, it's a matter of time before enough of those alternatives spring up. And people get used to that. But when they see something else, they'll be like, what is this nonsense? Right? Like, that's the reality of it. I mean, you, you log into a, into a robo experience and look at the reporting and the cleanliness and the user friendliness of it. And then you, you log into a traditional broker or discount broker and look at the experience in it is <laughs> night and day. Yeah, right? So we so need guys like you to sit over top of that. So second question is, what's been the biggest challenge in uh, getting your company to where it is today? I would say there's two challenges. One is probably, as an entrepreneur, it's, as I mentioned earlier, we're self-funded. We're also building a remote company. So I guess those are kind of challenges that we've set ourselves. But we're not a traditional fintech. Not a startup. So financing is a bit of a challenge. And I guess it's, it's a challenge for many, many fintechs in Canada as well. But I would say finding our identity and building our company with keeping in mind, you know, the remote employees factor in. And um, so I guess those are challenges we've set ourselves. But there are our, our core value as well. And uh, so I would say, uh, you know, finding our path in the ecosystem and being ourselves, <laughs> I would say, is maybe uh, one of the challenges that we've had. And obviously, the other challenge would be compliance and, you know, those credentials. And, you, and we've mentioned earlier uh, the fraud protection that the banks are putting up. So this is our biggest challenge at growing Waltica. And even for the advisor side of things, because it's still unregulated, like the open banking and the data access, until we have regulations similar to what Europe, Europe has, it's unregulated. So it's a little bit more difficult to sell to the uh, advisors and to the financial institutions. So I would say this is our biggest challenge to grow. But we're there for the long run. We're being extremely careful about our capital, making sure we, we're there for the long run. So I'm looking at future, a really bright future, but it's coming and we've got to be prepared. But it's a challenge. And final question, what is it about what you're doing that gets you up every day, uh, keeps you going, and excites you about your, your current... Uh... <laughs> yeah, uh, great question. Personally, I would say what makes me proud and wake up in the morning is really, uh, you know, knowing that I'm making a difference for Canadian and that I'm actively working toward a more open financial system in Canada as an active player. And um, I'm so grateful to all our users that are really, some of them are, are really like quite intense. Like they, they they are a bit tired of the banks and they want us to succeed so hard and they're, they're so good So with their encouragement. So really, short answer is so knowing I'm making a difference. I'm sure there's many uh, entrepreneurs that would be... Uh, with that, but 
that's so grateful. Like knowing you're making a difference to other Canadians and to other people around you. That's really what drives me to continue pushing art on the Waltica and making open banking, you know, financial data a reality for Canadians. That's really what makes me proud and excited about what we're doing at Waltica. Uh, the entire team, so great. As I mentioned earlier, we're careful about our capital. We're still a rather small team. Where we're really working extremely hard on bringing this to the Canadians. And that makes me uh, extremely proud. So thank you very much for your time, Simon. Very much appreciated. And I wish you the best of luck in, uh, in helping this thing scale. Thanks, Jason. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So that was my interview with Simon Belay Wealth. I hope you enjoyed that. And I hope you take the time to check out their platform. And as always, I'm Jason Pereira. And this has been FinTech Impact. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at fintechimpact.co.